You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have any questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. A little chilly today. What am I talking about? It's not chilly. It's cold, right? It is stinking cold. Uh, I'm glad you guys braved the cold, made it here to church today. The last time I spoke with you guys was back in October. And uh, I really appreciate Jake and Matt giving me the opportunity to, to speak with you guys again. But I will say, I'm going to be very careful about what I say this morning. If you recall, just think back a couple of weeks ago, Jake was up here and he talked about he fulfilled kind of a really a desire of his to get a pair of Tecovis boots. I mean, it was, it was almost like a dream of his. He'd been in the store several times. He really wanted them, and finally he broke down and he bought himself some Tecovis boots. Well, last Sunday I went uh, to his office after the service, and I walked in, and he's sitting down, and he's taking off his Tecovis boots, and he looked up at me, and he goes, these boots are killing my feet. <laughs> you know? And then and think about last week. Jake said he was a big Dallas Cowboys fan, he was really excited and looking forward to the game against the Packers in the NFC wildcard game. Did y'all see the game? <laughs> Cowboys got killed. So I'm going to be very careful about what I talk about. Um, back in the early 2000s, my wife Beth and I lived in Texas. And I became kind of casual friends with a fellow Sunday school teacher there at the church. He was a a big Texas guy, great guy. He had a great heart for the Lord. Uh, But I remember one Sunday after Sunday school was over, I was in my classroom, kind of packing up my bag and doing some things. And he walked in and he said, hey, David, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay. And he looked at me and he said, what do you think the main thing a Christian should be doing is? And he kind of caught me off guard. I was like, uh, well, and before I could answer, he said, I think it's making disciples. And I said, well, yeah, that's something we're supposed to do, make disciples. But I said, you know, what about loving God and loving others? I mean, Jesus said those were the greatest commandments. You know, he said all the other commandments hung on those two. You know, over the years, I've thought about that question from time to time. I came to realize that you know, when you look in the Bible, there are other things the Bible instructs us to do, right? The Bible says we should read God's word. Psalm says, treasuring your word in my heart. The Bible says we're supposed to pray, right? Paul says, pray without ceasing. The Bible says we're supposed to glorify God. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We're supposed to serve. In Ephesians, Paul writes that we are God's workmanship made to do good works. You know, these are all great things to do. What is the main thing? And you guys probably thought about other things when I was um, going through all those. But as we came, come to this sermon series, you know, Christ-centered living in a self-centered world, that question came back up to me. And I, I was thinking, to live a Christian life a Christ-centered life, what is the main thing I should focus on? To live a Christ-centered life, what is the main thing I should focus on? Because I don't know about you, 
But if I try to do too many things, I can get, feel overwhelmed. I can get anxious. You know, if I, I can feel unsatisfied if I don't do things, all the things that I need to do the way that I want to do them. Or I can even sometimes even feel like a failure because I don't get things done or maybe I let somebody down. But basically, for me to be successful, I really like to focus. How about you guys? You like to focus? Um, so again, focusing on that question that that friend of mine in Texas asked, what is the main thing a Christian should be focused on doing to live a Christ-centered life? So as we go through the passage today in Philippians chapter 3, where we're talking about Christ-centered living in a self-centered world, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul does have one main focus in his life. And this focus in Paul's life, it enabled him to avoid feeling overwhelmed and anxious. I say that because when he talks about this main focus, he says it produces a life of greater satisfaction than anything else he could do. I also feel like it enabled him to, re- to live this Christ-centered life regardless of the circumstance. And I say that because he wrote the letter to Philippians from jail. And his main focus wasn't, I want to get a get-out-of-jail-free card. So, you know, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by everything that's going on in your life. Maybe you're feeling a lack of success because you're not accomplishing the things you want to get done. Maybe you're having a hard time living a Christ-centered life. Um, You may be feeling there's no real satisfaction in your life. But this morning, we're going to spend some time in Philippians 3. We're going to look at what Paul's main focus is. See what we can learn about that to help us live fulfilled, satisfied lives, okay? So before we get into the scripture, I want us to pray, okay? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for bringing everybody here today. I know that you've brought them here for a purpose. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would penetrate every heart here, that it would you would get our attention through the word that is read read today. Father, I pray that you would motivate us and inspire us to to live Christ-centered lives and that you would help us and and give us a clear understanding of what we can do to live Christ-centered lives in a self-centered world. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's open up to Philippians chapter 3. We'll read verses uh, 7 through 9. You can follow on the screens, I think. Yeah, there we go. Follow on the screens. It's in your app. If you have a Bible, open up there. Um, But let's read. Philippians 3, we'll we'll start with verse 7 and read through the first part of verse 9. So whatever, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So do you see it? Do you see Paul's main focus in his life? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, here's the main point. If somebody asks you, hey, what did y'all talk about in church today? Here it is. Here it is. Christ-centered living includes a primary focus on knowing Christ. Okay? So let's dive into these verses this morning and really get a better understanding of what Paul means by 
his, his main focus of knowing Christ. So Paul starts these verses out with a very compact statement. He does a lot of that in his writings. He'll start with a very compact statement, what N.T. Wright describes as the bud of a flower. Bud of a flower. I'm not making some gesture at you guys. That's a bud of a flower, okay? Okay? So the bud of the flower. And then what he does is he expounds on that, and he opens it up a little bit. And then he expounds a little more, and it opens up more, and then more, until this message that he has has evolved into this beautiful flower. So we're going to look at that today. And Paul, Paul opens this bud up into a flower in these passages today using accounting terms. He uses terms like gains and losses. It's like he's setting up a spreadsheet where he's got the gains in one column and the losses in another column. Okay? So let's look at what Paul says. So let's look at the, the compact bud. Okay? The compact bud in verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So in the losses column, he has um, whatever were gains to him. Now, Paul is looking back to what he said in verses 5 and 6. And in verses 5 and 6, he describes things that gave him admiration in his society and in his culture. Basically, there, there are things that he benefited from because they gave him this prestigious identity. So everything that gave him this prestigious identity, he's got in the loss column. In the gains column, he has one thing, Christ. Now that's a compact bud. That's pretty compact. So then he goes on and he opens it up a little bit more. He opens the bud up and he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So in the loss column, he evolves from just having the things that he benefited from for his prestigious identity to everything, everything, everything that he benefited from for his security in life, anything he benefited from for his uh, happiness in life. So everything about his identity, his security, and his happiness he has in the losses column. Now, over in the gains column, he has knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and he also evolves the significance of it. He says there is a surpassing value to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he's got everything about his identity, security, and happiness in the loss column. Knowing Christ Jesus, the surpassing value of that in the gains column. But he isn't done. The bud's not open fully yet. But he opens it more. And he says, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So in the losses column, he's still got the same things, but he doesn't just call them losses. He says they're garbage. And the word used for garbage, in some translation, they use the word rubbish. Or in the King James, they use the word dung. It's any sort of rotting or decaying thing. That's what he considers anything he benefits from for his identity, his security, and his happiness. And in the gains column, He's got knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. But then, you know, he says that he wants to be found in him. So what he's saying is knowing Christ means being found in him. It means being aligned with Christ. It means being, having a Christ-centered life. So let's get a picture. Or take a, really take a close look at this flower that Paul has evolved for us. So what he's saying, Paul is saying Knowing Christ, 
provides greater worth, more value, more significance than anything else we can gain. By comparison, the results of any other ambition we have is like garbage, rubbish, and dung. Now, I hope those words that Paul said got your attention and maybe made you curious. The last time I spoke with you, I talked about a time when these verses changed my life. If you remember, I was a senior in high school. I was sitting in church. I was prepared to go to college. A few months, I was heading to college. You know, um, I, was, I was so looking forward to starting life on my own, to getting out and be my own person, you know, to get out of my parents' house and start, start creating my future. And then the pastor spoke on these verses, and the Holy Spirit got my attention. The Holy Spirit made me curious. Because if you think about it, this flower bud that Paul opens, it's a big, audacious statement. I mean, think about it. Knowing Christ provides greater worth than anything else we can pursue or attain. That's a big statement. Our main focus should be on knowing Christ. That is a big, audacious statement. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. So, all right, if you guys are still awake, y'all still awake? And if you're curious, you may have some questions. What does it mean to know Christ? What do I do to know Christ? And you might even say, what is this surpassing worth of knowing Christ? What is that? Um, So in the next few verses we're going to read, Paul describes three things about what it means to know Christ. And based on what he tells us, we can see the surpassing value of each of them. Okay? So the first thing that Paul tells us about what it means to know Christ is found in Philippians 3, verse 9. So Paul says he considers everything as garbage that I may, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, when you look at these verses, a couple of words stand out. They're used multiple times. You got righteousness and you got faith, right? So I'm going to start out. Knowing Christ means faith. Knowing Christ begins with faith. What is faith? A lot of times when we talk about faith, we use words like belief and trust. Um, And as we look at the meaning of faith, I think it's important to consider all these words together, really uh, see how they interact to really understand what what faith is. So faith does mean belief, but belief is more than just a cognitive mental understanding and realization of who Jesus is and what he has done. Um, I mean, yes, we need to do that. And last week, Jake spoke, Jake, Joke. Jake spoke, he's not around here. Jake spoke on Philippians chapter 2, verse, and he read verses 5 through 11. Um, and you remember those verses said, this is a paraphrase Jesus is God, he is holy, he was in heaven, he came to earth. Came to earth, became a human being, lived a perfect human life. He died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, 
He rose from the grave in three days. He's alive today. He's coming back to earth sometime. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to know that. That's a hallelujah statement right there, buddy. Um, But we need to know that. Our faith does involve believing those things, but faith also involves trust, and trust involves action. Think about it. You guys, all you guys walked in here today, and when you walked in, you didn't say it, but you felt it or thought it. You believed that those chairs would hold you up. But you didn't exercise faith until you trusted them by sitting down in it. So, you know, knowing Christ is faith. It's that belief and trust, um, and it produces righteousness. Now, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ is righteousness. (laughs) I'm looking at your faces out there, and you're like, uh, say what? (laughs) What does that mean? How How is that surpassing worth? Well, if you think about it, the technical definition of righteousness is the state of being in proper relationship with God. It's living your life in agreement with God's standards. And if we look at those verses that, that Paul said, he points out that this type of righteousness, we don't accomplish it by being good or keeping God's commandments. We don't do it that way. We can't. Nobody's been good enough. Nobody's kept God's commandments. We know that. Um, you know, it's something Paul writes in, in the book of Romans. He said, no one is righteous, not even one. Nobody's righteous, not even one. Therefore, the righteousness we get, we receive because of our faith, we call that, all right, y'all listening? Imputed righteousness. Uh, In other words, we're made righteous not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. If we look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, imputed righteousness means we get Christ's righteousness. We have the same righteousness as Jesus. You know, and I know sometimes people will say, it's, it's, it's as if we've never sinned. And that's true. That's good. But I think that falls a little short because in actuality, our imputed righteousness means it's as if we've always obeyed. Because we have Christ's righteousness. That's the way God look at, looks at us. God doesn't, God doesn't say, you know, save us or, or give us this righteousness just so we can have a relationship with him. When we have this relationship with God, God gives us Christ's righteousness. We are like Jesus. We are children of God. We're more than just acquaintances. In Galatians 3.26, Paul writes, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Now that's surpassing worth because, you know, we're made righteous. We're children of God. We have a loving father in heaven. I mean, you think about the value of that. Think about that. As the children of God, we have direct access to the holy all-knowing, all-powerful, merciful, gracious, eternal, perfect God of the universe. He's our father. We can depend on him. That's, that's surpassing value. Um, in his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer says, to those who are Christ's, 
The holy God is a loving father. They belong to his family. They may approach him without fear and always be sure of his fatherly concern and care. This, our imputed righteousness is surpassing worth that God gives us, and he gives it to us because of our faith. So the first point, if y'all are in the app or if you're writing it down, the first point on what it means to know Christ is knowing Christ involves enjoying the blessings of being God's righteous children through living by faith. All right, so let's continue on. Let's, let's read verses, or Philippians 3, 10, and 11, and we'll get additional insight of what it means to know Christ and what is this surpassing worth that, that Paul talks about. So Philippians 3, 10, and 11. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul continues his thoughts on the surpassing value of knowing Christ by saying he wants to know the power of his resurrection. All right, I'm going to ask a question. Don't, don't raise your hand. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Do you believe that he conquered death and he lives today? Okay? So, I mean, if you don't believe that, you can't experience any power in Christ's resurrection. But if you do believe that, there is tremendous power. If we look in the Bible, um, Christ's resurrection demonstrates several powerful things. I mean, it is the power to remove sin and guilt. It's the power to appease God's wrath. It's the power to restore our relationship with God. It's the power to defeat Satan. But the one thing, the one resurrection power I want us to focus on today is the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. Because Jesus told his disciples that after he, after he died and after his resurrection, he would send them the Holy Spirit to guide them. In John 16, 13, he said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So knowing Christ involves being empowered by and following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, in his, in his book to uh, uh, Galatians, Paul describes an empowered Christ-centered life as walking in the Spirit, right? Walking in the Spirit is listening to the Spirit's direction as you live your life and following it. But how do we, how do we follow the Holy Spirit's direction? How do we know what the Holy Spirit says? We can hear the Holy Spirit as we read Scripture, we can, we can hear the Holy Spirit as we pray. We can hear the Holy Spirit through other people, right? We can hear the Holy Spirit as it speaks to our heart. But walking by the Spirit is being empowered by the Spirit. And um, in his book to, Galatians, to the Galatians, Paul describes the fruits or the results of living the Spirit-empowered life in Galatians 5, and 23. And he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You've seen those words on the screen. Think about it. Do you want your life to display those attributes? Okay? I'm going to ask you a little, little different question. Do you believe your life can display those attributes? based on everything you have going on in your life, based on what you've done in your past, 
based on all this stuff that's going on, do you believe your life can display those attributes? Well, I'll ask you a question early. Do you believe that Christ rose from the grave? If you believed in the power of the resurrection, if you believe that Jesus is still alive, your life can have those attributes. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ includes experiencing fruit-filled lives. So the second point on what it means to know Christ is knowing Christ involves experiencing fruit-filled lives through living a life empowered by the Spirit. So Paul goes on in in those verses and he says that knowing Christ involves participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in in his death. So, you know, we read those verses and our initial reaction would be like, um, what? <laughs> I'm supposed to enjoy suffering? This surpassing value I get from suffering? Yeah, those are good questions. Let's skip this one. No, we're not going to skip it. So when Paul says he wants to participate in Christ's suffering, he's really reiterating what Jesus uh, lived and taught. Jesus lived and taught in a very countercultural way. I mean, you think about it. Think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. We look at people that are poor in spirit, people are mourning, person and meek, and we don't think they're blessed, right? It's countercultural. Jesus also said, the first will be last. The last will be first. He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. He told his disciples not to be served but to serve. Living counterculturally, that's exactly what Jake was talking about last week. Y'all remember the main point of his sermon last week? Shake your head, yes, or yeah. Um, Christ centered living produces self giving humility. Self giving humility. That is countercultural, right? But why does, call, why does Christ call us to live counterculturally? Can't we just fit in? Why do we have to be misfit toys, right? Why? Well, let me ask you this. Who determines what is acceptable, what is right in our culture and society? Who who decides that? People. (laughs) And what do we know about people? People are sinful. The hearts of people are wicked. They're deceitful. They're selfish. Christ wants us to live counterculturally. Knowing Christ is countercultural living. Um, and living counterculturally means living by what the Holy Spirit says, what the Bible is saying, not by what is, our culture says is right or our society says is right. Now, in some parts of the world, you live counterculturally and you could in physical pain, you could be imprisoned, and even death. Here in our Western society, Suffering will include maybe being made fun of because you don't support or participate in activities that involve lust, greed, envy, gossip, anger, you know, or you may be ridiculed or considered an outcast if you don't support abortion and you don't affirm same-sex couples. But Christ lived in a very countercultural way, and it resulted in him suffering. And, you know, yes, when we live counterculturally, it will involve our suffering. You may have picked up on it. (laughs) I'm not really preaching a a prosperity gospel right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? You know, Christ-centered living doesn't mean that, oh, your life's never going to have any problems and God's going to prosper you. He's going to make you wealthy. Uh, no, not saying that. But there is surpassing worth to our suffering. In Matthew 5.10, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The surpassing worth of our suffering, living this countercultural life, is the kingdom of heaven. And did you notice how those verses said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? It doesn't say will be. It's something that happens now. The kingdom of heaven is not something we have to wait to experience. But when I was growing up, you know, at the end of church services or you'd be at a youth camp or a youth retreat and they would ask this question, if you died tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? Basically, or, hey, if you died tonight, would you spend eternity in God's kingdom? You know, what the intent was, was to get people to make a decision for Christ. The gospel message that I heard was by accepting Jesus as your savior, you can go to heaven when you die. Anybody here, that was the message y'all heard when you were growing up? Yeah. Now listen, I believe we need to make a decision for Christ. I need, we need to confess our sins. We need to commit to follow him. We need to be baptized. I think that's important. But my question is, do we have to die to experience the blessings of the kingdom of heaven? Do we have to die to experience the blessings of the kingdom of heaven? Mark 1.15, Jesus, it, it shows us the gospel that Jesus preached. It says, Jesus went around preaching this, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. I wear a bracelet and it says, the kingdom of God is near. We gave these out to all of our students, and we gave it to them as a reminder that God's kingdom is all around us, and we can enjoy the blessings of living in his kingdom right now. I'm thinking about it. God's kingdom is all around us. We can see it in creation. Sun rises, sun sets. We see the changing of the seasons. You go to the beach, one of my favorite places, the tides roll in, the tides roll out. Because God's kingdom, God's kingdom is the domain where what he wants done is done. And we see that in his creation. Um, but we see God's kingdom at the beginning of creation. When he created Adam and Eve, he put them on earth and he said, subdue and rule my creation. And he said, subdue and rule my creation. I want you to do that in union with me. And he blessed them, right? They sinned and things changed. But that was God's plan from the beginning was for, him to, um, for him, them to live in union with him. He would bless them and they would rule and exercise their authority over creation. So that's what it was at the beginning. When Jesus returns... Jesus is going to come back and we're going to live in union with God in his kingdom and he will bless us. That's the way it was at the beginning of creation. That's the way it's going to be at the end. Right now, we can live in God's kingdom in union with him and enjoy his blessings. 
So the third point on what it means to know Christ is knowing Christ involves enjoying the blessings of God, God's kingdom now and living countercultural lives. I'm going to read a few more verses to really close out what Paul communicates regarding knowing Christ and the surpassing value associated with it. So let's look at Philippians 3, 12 through 14. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. When we read those verses, it's very clear. Paul says, I got more to learn. I got more to learn about Christ. He wasn't finished. He pressed on to know Christ and to finish what he started. He knew that it was important to finish. I was talking a couple weeks ago to one of our students, Lily, she's in the back, Lily Jones. Lily is a pitcher on the region champion North Paulding High School softball team. Go Wolfpack. Um, But uh, Lily is a pitcher. I've gone to a few of her games and she can... She can zing the ball up over the plate. It's, it's, it's impressive, I'll be honest. Um, but as a pitcher, Lily told me she had six different pitches. She's got a fastball. She's got an off-speed. She's got a curveball. She's got a slider. I don't remember the other two, but she's got two more. It's not important. Um, but with each pitch, she says she spins the ball a different way. She has to spin it this way or this, whatever. She spins it a different way to get the ball to do what she wants it to do. You got it? So I, I was talking with her and I said, what, what do you focus on? What do you focus on when you're about to deliver a pitch? And she said, I look at the target and I focus on where my pitching motion starts and where I finish. Because if she doesn't finish where she needs to finish, the ball doesn't do what she wants it to do. And I think that that's what Paul was talking about. His life wouldn't be what he wanted it to be if he didn't finish it. We need to finish. And Paul pressed on. So what we talked about today was knowing Christ was the main focus of Paul's life. And he said it had surpassing value over anything else that he could achieve. It had, you know... It had surpassing value to anything else he could possibly do. And, you know, Paul considered his prestigious identity as garbage. He traded that to gain his identity as a child of God. He considered the security of this world garbage to gain the security of the kingdom of God. He considered the happiness of this world as garbage so he could gain the fruit of the Spirit in his life. So the question, we, we went through a lot of stuff today, but the question is, do you want to know Christ? You know, do you want to know Christ, live by faith, enjoy the blessings of being a righteous child of God? Do you want to endure, in, know Christ and live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit and enjoy the fruit of the Spirit? 
Do you want to know Christ and live a countercultural life and enjoy the blessings of living in God's kingdom? Well, we can start it today. We can press on starting today. We can get to know Christ and press on. Um, the first step is in knowing Christ is involves placing your faith in Christ. If you're not a Christian and you're here, you have questions. You're interested in knowing more about what it means to know Christ. Everybody has a comment card. Just on the back of your card, write faith. Drop it in the bucket. One of our staff members uh, will reach out and touch base with you, answer any questions you have. But there's other things. Jake mentioned at the beginning, LM Institute. This is a seminary-type course. Um, You know, we all need to learn more about what it means to know Christ. We need to really understand more about what Jesus expects from us, what we need to do. How do we live a countercultural life? How do we live a, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit? You know, how do we live by faith? All those things that he talked about. And we can learn those by doing things like LM Institute. And like he said, that is a 11-week course, gospel formation. If you haven't signed up, then you know who you are. You know, go to the website and sign up. Or go to the table out here and tell them you want to participate. But it's a great course. You can also participate in our small group Bible studies. We have small group Bible studies meet every Sunday morning, 9.15. There's one for every age grade. So if you are not participating in Sunday morning Bible studies, I encourage you to do, to do that. They start at 9.15. You know, if you don't know where you should go, go to the welcome test. They'll tell you which room your age is in. But I, I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you to read. Now, I know what you're saying. I hate to read. I don't like to read. I don't have time to read. Well, that's the way I was until about three years ago. And I've read more in the past three years than I've read in all the preceding years. And that's probably true. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we have a bookstore in the foyer. We have a bookstore in the foyer buy a book and read it. There are some great books out there. I've been so encouraged by the books that I've read. Um, I mentioned in the discussion today, I mentioned the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. That is a phenomenal book. It's a book about knowing God, right? Hey, um, but I encourage you to go out there, get that book. Um, Just so you know, that's a book that that your elders are reading and discussing right now. there's another other books out there. There's uh, I recommend the King Jesus Gospel. It's by Scott McKnight. I read it. I was talking to Andrea Carmen. Is Andrea here? No. I was talking to Andrea Carmen, and I said, "Man, I read that book." And she looked at me and quote, "That book changed my life." So I encourage you read the King Jesus Gospel. There are other books out there by some great authors. You got Rebecca McLaughlin, N.T. Wright. Tim Keller, Dallas Willard, C.S. Lewis. There's great books out there. I can't encourage you enough. Get a book and read it and see if it will impact your life. Okay, just closing. Summary of what we talked about. Christ-centered living involves a primary focus on knowing Christ and it produces a life of surpassing worth over anything else you can attain. So well, I appreciate you guys being here. Before I close in prayer, uh, 
I know Jake mentioned earlier, but I want to reiterate, we're less than $5,000 away from meeting our greater impact special offering goal. If you haven't given, I encourage you, please give today or give online you know, before next week. I really encourage that. Also, after our pray, the worship team is already here. Um, the worship team is going to us, lead us in a, in a couple of songs. Um, I invite everyone, every baptized believer to come down, participate in the Lord's Supper at the tables down front or in the back. Um, so I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, but I'm going to pray and uh, then the worship team will lead us. Okay, thank you. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for uh, just the way that you can inspire and motivate, get our attention, Father. Make us curious and help us to want to know Christ more. Father, I just pray that as we leave here that uh, we will take specific actions and do things to help us know Christ more and to pursue that and make that the main focus of us living Christ-centered lives. Thank you for all that you've done, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us at lmbc.us. Thank you for tuning in today.